0: Hello again everyone and welcome to Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo and this is a podcast about communication skills. So today's episode is fairly simple or it's actually really really simple. Um, It's about one simple question that you can ask someone and in asking that person um, this question, you're serving as a kind of communication coach. So, uh, in the last few episodes, I've tried, I've been trying to talk about um, some characteristics of really effective communication, regardless of circumstance, occasion, uh, context, etc. And uh, one uh, one thing that I believe about master communicators, or at least the people that I've run into in my life, who are who do have some mastery over over communication, they also are really good at uh, eliciting or helping elicit positive communication practices from others. And this goes along with the idea of congruence and uh, what Carl Rogers had to say about congruence that, you know, an authenticity, that one person's authenticity will elicit authenticity from another person. Uh, it goes along with what we think of in terms of interpersonal communication as the kind of development of intimacy in a relationship. Uh, one act of self-disclosure from one partner will lead to another act of self-disclosure from another partner. And that's how you kind of generate a cycle of, of ever greater degrees of intimacy. Um, so the, the good communicators that I know tend to also have this effect on others. They're able to, um, they're able to kind of coach or lead others into better communication practices themselves. And I found that there is one basic, central, critical question that you can ask someone, anyone really, in any kind of circumstance or situation that will help transform their approach to communication practice in that situation. And the question is so simple, but it speaks or it, it kind of issues from or is entailed by the model of communication that I've been describing throughout all the episodes of this podcast. So if we just remember for a second that communication is not about the transmission of information from one place to another, it's about the effect that you produce on others, then in any given circumstance, you can help someone improve their communication practices by asking them what they get out of some particular practice or some particular statement. So... Um, If you just sort of say, okay, what are you getting out of uh, talking like that? Or what are you getting out of that kind of statement? Or what are you getting out of that question that you've asked? Or what did you get out of that thing that you said in that meeting, etc.? What you're doing is asking them to stop and reflect on the way a practice of theirs produced some effects. And they stop and have to ask themselves, was that the thing that I really wanted to get? now that I've got it, uh, and you're asking them to reflect strategically on their communication practices for a moment. And as soon as someone stops and starts reflecting on their strategic set of practices or sees or understands their practices as implicated in a kind of strategic act uh, and starts to wonder whether that act actually got them the thing that they wanted, they'll likely be able to make intuitively or on their own a set of adjustments to their communication practices that will help them out or that will transform them. So uh, an excellent person in my life who is a fantastic communicator did this to me once and it kind of totally transformed my outlook on something. So here's an example of this at work. I'm in a meeting, um, so this is a professional setting. I'm not talking about interpersonal relationships here. Or this, this applies also. Remember all these episodes lately have been about communication practices that are good sort of regardless of the context or occasion, but this happened to me in a meeting. I'm sitting in a meeting, there's about 10 or 11 people. Someone is, is criticizing um, a smaller ad hoc group that kind of reported to my department. And in the course of criticizing um, that ad hoc group, which I was a member of, the person made a statement about who, who were the members of that group. And I immediately interrupted the meeting and uh, said, no, 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 you're wrong. That was the phrase I used. Those people were not on that ad hoc group. These other people were. Because I felt this person had made a factual mistake. And of course, as soon as I said the, that to this person that they were wrong, it kind of ratcheted up the, the tension in the room. It it, um, it made it more of a conflict. It heightened the degree of conflict. So after the meeting, someone who was in the meeting, who I have a great deal of respect for, pulled me aside and said, so I saw, you know, I heard you say in the meeting that you, you told so-and-so that they were wrong, that they factually had it wrong, who was on this group. And I was like, yeah, because they, they were wrong. That's why I said it. They were wrong. And then this person asked me, what did you get out of saying, of pointing that out? What did you get out of that? And the first thing, I, I didn't even think about the question at first. I was like, well, I set the record straight. And the person I was talking to then reiterated the question. Well, what did you get out of setting the record straight? And I thought for a minute and I was like, well, okay, I see, you know, and the person then filled it in for me. Uh, She said, well, look, you you created a greater degree of conflict and tension and everyone got super nervous in in the room Um, and it took a lot more time to reconcile the problem that was in front of us. And I thought, oh, geez, yeah, look at the consequences of my communicative action um, and that one little question got me to stop and recognize the consequences of my communicative actions. And I certainly thought the next time we had a meeting of that same group um, differently about how I would intervene in that group. Um, and this goes, so that was in a professional setting, but this goes in interpersonal, this works in interpersonal settings also. It works in all settings. So um, let me, before I get to a couple of interpersonal examples, let's talk about some examples, simpler examples with... Um, with students so in my classes there I used to do this I don't do it so much anymore in my classes I banned the words like um or ah so if a student raised his or her hand and wanted to make an intervention in class and they used filler words like like um or ah I would have them stop and repeat everything they had to say without those filler words we couldn't let it stand without the person improving their communication practices why did I do this I would ask the class uh, at the beginning of the semester, I would ask the class, okay, what do you get out of ah um, uh, or like? And they would inevitably tell me that, well, it those words allow us to pause for a second and think about what, I have to, what I'm trying to say and organize my thoughts a little bit more clearly. You know, they created some space for the students to think about what they wanted to say. Okay, but notice how deeply selfish that is. So I tried to to get them to see, well, what do, what, do, what do those words get for you with the audience? And, um, or what kind of, uh, what do they get out of those words in terms of their influence on the audience? And then they started thinking, oh, I see, you know, I'm actually getting these kind of really negative things that like the audience thinks I'm stalling or thinks I'm uncomfortable or thinks I'm insecure or thinks I don't know exactly what to say, etc., so I'm getting these kind of negative, what I would call negative biasing outcomes from the use of those filler words. And they're actually making it harder for me to persuade the audience or to get the audience to follow what it is I'm, I'm saying. And so this is what I meant in the last episode when I said emotions always bias reasoning. So even in the smallest of circumstances, when you're introducing filler words like like um or ah, uh, or it's just sort of this kind of thing, like, what, what do you get out of the use of the phrase sort of? What work does the use of the phrase sort of do in the world? And is that the kind of work you're trying to do more globally with whatever it is you're saying? And a lot of times the students would realize their introduction of like, um, ah, sort of, just, these kinds of filler words actually worked at cross purposes to their communicative action. So in communicating, they were trying to accomplish some end. But they're actually making it harder by introducing a bunch of words around the end that they were trying to accomplish that undermined their, their ability to accomplish that end. So I, I was constantly trying to get them to stop and think, what are that, What am I getting out of this, the use of these phrases? What work does that do for me? What work does it do in the situation in which I find myself? So this is true also for interpersonal relationships. So, you know, let's say, you know, you're having trouble with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you're kind of in an argument or not feeling very good about things. And then you write an email to that person. And in the email, it, it says some sort of some things about, you know, you're trying to be kind of profound and nice and, and, and say something that you couldn't quite say in words. But actually, the email just really pisses off or annoys or alienates the person you've emailed. And then you have to ask, well, what did I get out of that email? Like, what was I trying to do? Like, why did I write that thing? Uh, and, you know, okay, so if I'm the partner that receives the email in that in that case, in a good kind of productive interpersonal relationship, I can go back to my partner and say, what did you get out of writing that email? I, you know, what were you trying to do with that email? And it might be the case... You know, if you listen to the episode on bids, the email is obviously a bid for attention. It's obviously what it is, regardless of the content of the email. The person might be self-aware enough to think, well, I was just trying to get your attention. I just wanted to talk to you. And the, I might say back, like, well, look, that way of trying to get to talk to me was really alienating and frustrating because the content of what you said was just not OK. It wasn't cool. It made me really upset. Um, so, you know, you didn't get my attention and we didn't, int- we didn't get a conversation out of this. You just made me mad, like, or made me further more upset. So uh, in that kind of case, in an interpersonal relationship, you're asking the question to try to clarify what's going on between those two people. Um, so this question, you know, what do you get out of that action towards someone can be really, in interpersonal settings, can be really helpful and really clarifying because oftentimes there's a gap or a kind of um, between what you're trying to do and what you've done are not aligned. So uh, you're trying to tell someone that you really care about them and really what you're doing is insulting them or bringing up bad memories or something like that. Um, And you don't even realize it because you haven't thought through, like, what am I getting out of this? particular action. So, um, you know, and, and you can use this in, in work, too. I mean, I sit in meetings all the time. And I think that you know, people that facilitate or lead those meetings, I watch them when the conversation gets difficult or complicated, they sort of fade to the background and they quiet down and they let people argue with one another. And I'm always thinking to myself, what are they getting out of, you know, staying silent in this particular case? Or what are they getting out of retreating from the conversation? And then, if two people are really having at it in a meeting, I'm wondering, like, what do they get out of that particular uh, that particular action? Um, and this gets back to an earlier episode where I said, you know, assertion is not the best method of persuasion. The reason assertion is not the best method of persuasion, or the reason push tactics of persuasion don't really work, are precisely because of of what this question gets at. Um, which is, you know, what work is that assertion doing? Well, it's pushing the audience further away. And does an assertion really do the work that I want it to do if, if I really want to be persuasive or if I want to convince an audience of something? Um, what what do I get out of making a really strong and, and uh, powerful assertion? Well, if I've knocked the audience over, then I haven't gotten the thing that I want out of that. Um, and more recently, in, in my own experience, In my own work experience, Uh, a colleague of mine from another department was suggesting a course of action that I found to be just totally bizarre and unhelpful and uh, really poisonous to the faculty. And I would have been a better communicator. So in that case, I had pretty much two choices. I could tell the person that what you're doing stinks. It's really awful. It's really offensive. It's what a jerk would do in this particular case. Or I could have stopped the process and said, what are you getting out of doing that? Like, what are you getting out of pursuing that course of action? And if I'd chosen the latter, it would have been a better move, a better communication move, because I would have opened up a conversation about what the person was really after, and I would have helped the person think strategically through whether getting after that end actually um, would have been a live possibility through the, the, the action that she was taking or whether the action would actually undermine the particular end. Um, so I think, uh, and on, we've also been talking a lot about leadership in the last bunch of episodes on the podcast, and I want to kind of make this point as clear as I can. Really, really good leaders ask this question of the people they work with because it is a central question in mentoring people and in developing people's communication skills and improving their ability to work well. So really, really good leaders sit down with people. uh, Usually, you know, it's easier if it's immediately after an event has happened, but or they help the, the people they work with understand or reflect on what they get out of their actions. And unfortunately, I almost never see this in my own job or my own career or my own profession. I never see people asking other people what they get out of particular actions. Um, and therefore, I see a lot of people or I interact with a lot of people that have no ability to self-reflect on the effects that they're having on others. They, ha- they, they really just do mistakenly believe that the communication process is about them transmitting and sharing information and that's it. They haven't thought through... Um, what effect they're having on others. So they never really ask of themselves, like, what am I getting out of this particular action? How does this particular action advance my interests or my agenda? Or what work does this particular action do in the world? They don't stop and, and think that. Um, so really effective leadership, I think, is about helping people stop and reflect on those, uh, on what they're getting out of particular communicative actions. Um, so the I think in terms of leaders, too, um, you know, I, I don't know how to put this, but like a leader has to help someone uh, improve. Like they're only being a good leader if their team or if the people that they're leading, in my view at least, are improving or getting better or are better able to do their tasks. And I see no more effective means of doing that than getting the people that the leader is leading to think more strategically and in the communicative process the central way of thinking about communication as a strategic art of producing effects is to constantly be reflecting or self-reflective self-reflecting on what one gets out of particular actions or communication actions so here's another example uh, in even this is an example from writing so you can see that it really applies to every particular communication situation When I was writing my dissertation, uh, I had a draft of the dissertation, a draft of a couple chapters. I showed it to my dissertation advisor, and apparently I used the verb insists over and over again. Everything was, you know, I was writing about John Dewey and American pragmatism. John Dewey insists this, William James insists that, Oliver Wendell Holmes insists this, and my, my PhD advisor noticed this. And he circled like a whole bunch of times I used the verb assist, insist. And then we had a meeting, and he sat down, and he was like, well, what do you think you're getting out of using that word insist over and over again? What, what work do you think the word insist does? And I hadn't thought about it at all. I, like, I didn't even notice that I was doing it. Um, and what he got me to see is that the fact that I had all these historical figures on, insisting on things meant that I wasn't so sure, so certain myself about what they really thought or what they were really arguing. So for him, the work that that verb was doing is it was making me seem a little bit insecure about the position I was, at, I was trying to articulate because I had everyone else doing a lot of insisting as if no one would accept my reading of, of what was going on. And boy, I had not thought about that at all. Uh, and then I went back and reread some of those chapters, and I thought, ah, oh, you know, my advisor is onto something here. This is the work that this word is, is doing. Um, so, even in writing, you know, we can ask, what do you get out of that? Like, and I, I ask my students, when my students come from high school, so some, I'm sure I've talked about this before on the podcast, but some high school teachers teach, you know, these students to write an opening paragraph that makes no sense, that's so generic and so general and so broad. It's like, all people uh, care about trust. Trust is a really wonderful, like, it's a bunch of nonsense. And then they get into what the actual paper is in the second paragraph. And I'm always circling the first paragraph and asking my students, what did you get? What do you think you get out of that paragraph? Like, what work does that paragraph do? And they never know. They're like, I don't know. It, <laughs> it does because it doesn't do anything. It just delays the making of, of the argument. Um, so, you know, it works in terms of structures of pieces of discourse and writing and other pieces of discourse It works in terms of its particular words and sentences. Um, it works in those interpersonal settings. It works in professional settings. Uh, so if you're in a position of leadership or you want to help people communicate better, so even if you feel like you have a partner that's really uncommunicative, that doesn't really care about kind of communicative interactions, etc., if you get those people to ask or if you ask them yourselves, what are you getting out of this particular action or what are you getting out of that particular mode of communication, you get them to self-reflect about the consequences of their communicative practices, that can be really transformative, and it can really improve that, that, those, that person's practices. Sometimes by just thinking that question, you can alter your communication practices uh, for the better. So I think all of us need to be asking ourselves, like, what did I get out of that? Um, what work did that do? And we also need to learn how to ask others, like, what are you getting out of doing that particular thing? In that particular case. And I think good communicators are aware of the centrality and the importance of that particular question. Um, Okay, so that's it for this episode. I'll be back shortly with uh, another episode. We've got a lot more to talk about in terms of kind of main or important communication practices that are good regardless of the context or circumstance. So thanks everyone for listening.